Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 through 31. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with who with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beast in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 through 31. Jeff read our teaching text, and I had I was, all week I was real excited about today. I, there was a as I've studied the text, and I had a, a movie scene come to mind. And we don't watch a lot of movies, like we don't watch as many movies, I would say, as most people probably. But my my kids, when we were overseas, I've said this several times. When we were overseas, we just had some DVDs of some movies. And of course, what I brought was all like John Wayne westerns, and I love John Wayne. Waiting on him to put out a new one, you know. Um, but I was thinking about a, a, one of my favorite movies of all time, and the movie is called The Cowboys. And I was thinking about this scene, and I so desperately wanted to show that this morning. And uh, as I viewed the scene, I thought oh, it probably wouldn't be the most appropriate uh, for church. Um, but I want to tell you about the scene because it kind of. It, it, I've been thinking about it all week, and John Wayne's character is Will Anderson. He's a, a, a rancher, and he's an older man, and he's kind of hardened, and he is, um, like all ranchers, you have to take your cattle to market. And there's a gold rush, a, a gold strike nearby, and so all of his ranch hands got gold fever, and they left him. And so he doesn't have anybody to take the cattle to market. And so what he does is he goes to a schoolhouse and he hires a bunch of boys, a bunch of cowboys, hence the name the cowboys. And they help him drive his cattle to market. And as you can imagine, 
they're, they face a lot of uh, danger. And one of the dangers that they face is the cattle rustlers. And there's one, uh, one man in particular, his name's Longhair, and uh, he's, he's played by Bruce Dern. If you know, those of you that if you know Bruce Dern, he's like the ultimate bad guy. But his name's Longhair, and he's leading this band of rustlers, and they steal the cattle. And the scene towards the end of the movie, and John Wayne's, a real, like I said, a hard character. He's been hard on those boys. He's been really hard on them. And there's a there's this scene where they've stolen the cattle, long hair stolen the cattle, and they come in and they've got all the boys sitting here in a circle. And he's mistreating the boys. He's just a big bully. He's abusing them, uh, mistreating them. One little boy had had uh, spectacles, had a little eyeglass, and he, he took his glass and was looking at him. And then the little boy asked, Can I have those back when you're done? And he takes them right in front of his face and just crumbles them all to pieces, just destroys his glasses. And he just, you know, making these kids fearful. And finally, Will Anderson, John Wayne's character, just speaks up. He says, hey, I see what you can do with children. Now, what about somebody your own size? And, of course, you can imagine what happens. Uh, he's like, you're an old man. And he says, well, this old man will take you today. And he did. He beat the snot out of him. <laughs> He's just the iconic. If you've, if you've never seen the movie, this has so it's a great plot, a lot of subplots. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But of course, Bruce Dern's character, long hair, he gets mad after he's beaten to a bloody pulp, and he grabs one of his guy's guns, and he, he unloads it into John Wayne's character. And towards the end, John Wayne's character, he's laying there, and he's dying, of course. But he has those boys around him, and he just praises those boys. He's never given a word of praise up to this point, and he just praises those boys, and those boys just weep because they've come to love this hardened old rancher. You know, of course, and spoiler alert, he, he passes away. You never see that in his movies, right? He passes away, and then these boys, with the help of the cook, they go and they, they recapture the herd, kill the bad guys, and take the herd to market. It's incredible incredible movie. I want to play that scene for you, but just didn't think it was quite appropriate for us. But we see this, this compassion for the lowly. And, and then Will Anderson, he just has this compassion at the end. He's this compassion for these boys. Is this bully, this terrible, wicked person is mistreating these boys. He just has compassion for them. And that compassion causes him to just stand up for them. And we see the Lord coming to the aid of his children. And I was thinking about that scene. I was thinking about what the Lord has done for the nation of Israel. They've cried out to the Lord. They've been oppressed. They're being abused. And he, they cry out to the Lord. And the Lord comes to their aid. He sends Moses through ten judgments. He rescues the Israelites. They're brought out of the red, through the Red Sea into the, the wilderness headed towards the promised land that he's going to give them. And they're, they're at Mount Sinai, and they're going to be there 11 months, and they're receiving the law. And even in our text today, we see the compassion of our God. And so far, in, from chapters 21 to 23, we've, we've considered so far uh, these personal injury laws, firstly, and then secondly, this loss of these laws concerning loss of property. And then what's really emphasized here, if you remember, is, is compensation and reparation. If you hurt someone or if you damage someone's property, you have to compensate for their loss. And we said that that just 
that's a picture of God's compassion, also His justice. And so what we're going to see today, we're going to have seven set of case laws today that we're going to run through really quickly. And there's four things we're going to learn from our text. Number one, we're going to see God's desires for His people to put others' interests first. And we see here in verse 16 and 17, this is the seventh and eighth commandment. Do you remember the commandments? Savannah, do you remember the commandments? The seventh one. What's the seventh one? Do you remember? Remember, you have to do this. Don't commit adultery. Remember, these two have to stay together. So you have the seventh commandment and then the eighth commandment. Remember the eighth commandment? Remember? Remember, yeah. Yeah. Don't steal. So what you're going to see is you're going to see the seventh and eighth commandment being addressed here. It says, if a man seduces a virgin or entices her for the purpose of sleeping with her, what does he have to do? He has to make that right. Now, this isn't a rape situation. We're going to see uh, laws uh, concerning that later. No, this is a consensual situation. But it does involve, it does involve this, this, this man robbing this woman of her purity and the, the consequences are major. And what are the consequences we see here in the text? Think about it. In, in that culture, a woman who is not a virgin would have a hard time finding a husband. It was detrimental for her. In their culture, a woman who was uh, not a virgin was uh, sometimes left single. So the man who took her virginity had the responsibility to provide for the lady in two ways. The first way is through marrying her. Okay? It says here in, in our text in verse 16, um, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So we, we see the marriage. And second thing is we're paying the, the bride price. Um, this is the, paying the bride price is something they did uh, in every marriage situation it's during the betrothal period. A bride price was, was paid. And what that is lets you know we're really serious about this. We're going to join our two families together. Now, this bride price was in this situation where a woman is, a man has seduced a woman, has taken her innocence away. There's restoration to the family and punishment to the man. And we think about it in our own context today, we still require a man to pay for, uh, to pay if a child is conceived, right? But we're not so much worried about purity these days. And that, that, that loss of concern for purity in our society speaks volumes about our society and where we are. But it's interesting here that the father of the, the woman can refuse and not allow them to marry. But even though it was a consensual act, the tone here, if you read this text, the tone here is that her, her purity has been compromised or been stolen. And we see the wisdom and kindness of God as he discourages this promiscuity, but also at the same time protects the vulnerable woman. We should put others' interest above our own. And we see that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Now, the man who did this, and think about it, at the beginning of this situation, he's enticing her. Is he thinking about her and what's best for her? Or is he thinking about what's best for him? Yeah, he's thinking about what's best for him. So we have Scripture forbidding that. We need to think about others. The second thing we learn from our text, look at verse 18 through 20. This is another case law. Some sins are particularly damaging to the nation. So much so that if this, this was done, if this certain sin was committed, there would be put to death. 
there's, these sins are so heinous in God's eyes that they deserve the death penalty. Number one, the first thing is, um, is sorcery. Look at verse 18. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Now, why is this, in, why is this a, uh, a feminine uh, noun? I'm not real sure. But, uh, but, but it is here. Don't allow a sorceress to live. Now, what, is this, what, is this, what does sorcery entail? I mean, what, what do you think of when you think of sorcery in the Bible? Anything come to mind? Yeah, witchcraft. Any specific example? Think about Samuel and Saul. Yeah, the witch of Endor. Do you remember what happened? 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3. Now Samuel had died. Now Samuel, remember, he was the, he was the prophet of God, right? The last judge, the first prophet. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums that's the sorcerers, and the uh, necromancers, that's the sorcerer, out of the land. Now what he's doing, he's about to go to battle. He's about to go to battle against the Philistines. And not only his Samuel, the prophet, died, but the Lord is not listening, not paying attention to Saul because God has rejected Saul because of his disobedience. By this point in time, he's already picked out David. The Lord's already picked out David to be the next king. He's rejected Saul. But look at verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that means sorcerer, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. He'd gotten rid of all of them, but there, hey, there's one in Endor. We can, find, we, can, we can go get her and see if she can't help you. And what was Saul trying to do? Saul was trying to get help. But notice he's, he's not going to the Lord. He's going to these sorcerers. He seeks her and she attempts to communicate with the dead. Who was she trying to communicate with? Do you remember? It was Samuel, right? He was trying to get some information. Help me, Samuel. What do I do, right? He never went to the Lord. He wanted there to bring up Samuel from the dead. So you see this talking to the, to the dead and also telling fortunes was two of the main things that sorcerers did. And both of these were attacks against the sovereignty of God. I mean, God wants his people to trust him, not to manipulate them, right? But that's what you see this, in, these sorcerers doing, manipulating God. Robert Rayburn, he says, these were efforts to control the future, speaking about these sorcerers, these are efforts to control the future without regard to God or his covenant and in some other way than living in faithfulness before the Lord. For Israel, this was the repudiation of everything God had called her to be. So sorcerers shouldn't, shouldn't live. Put them to death. The second thing, second sin, verse 19, bestiality is also a capital offense. What does this do? This kind of lowers people to mere animals, right? Disregards the, the position that God has given them, right? To rule over everything. The third sin, idolatry, was also condemnable. We read all through Scripture. God is jealous. He doesn't want to share his worship with a false god. We see this throughout the Scriptures. And as they, even as I talk about these things, they're, this is kind of embarrassing. In fact, when we were, looking, we were mapping out our teaching text, I, I told Morgan, hey, here's a good text for you. Won't you teach this text? He said, no, nah, no, nah, I think I'll pass. So he's teaching next week. He don't want to teach this text. And rightly so, because what do you do with this? And then why is some of this stuff mean bestiality? Why would this be mentioned? Well, there was a reason for it. It had to be mentioned, right? Because the Canaanites, some of them 
participating in some of these acts during their worship of false gods. So this had to be prohibited in the law because some of the people were doing this stuff, right? It's terrible. And you think, well, these, this, no one does that. That's not common. Well, in regard to sorcery, think about, you know how many people identify as Wiccans in our country, in America? Half a million. That's a lot of sorcerers out there, isn't it? I was kind of shocked by that. I don't know one personally, but some of you do. Isn't that something? Think about the psychic hotline, fortune tellers. You got TV shows, TV channels that where you can call in and talk to a sorcerer. I mean, people dabble with the occult all the time. Yeah, it's it was common in Moses' day and common in our day as well. And then think about idolatry. My goodness, that's rampant, isn't it? You don't have to have a an actual physical idol to bow down to and cow toe to, right, and feed, right? But we have idols in our lives and it's rampant in our culture. The third thing we see in our text, God has a heart for the lowly and so should Israel. And we could say, and so should we. Look at verse 21. This is the next set of case laws. Just walking through these case laws. You should not wrong a sojourner. A sojourner was a foreigner a stranger or oppress him for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt you should not mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you mistreat them and they cry out to me I will surely hear their cry my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless God is his character and who he is is revealed through his law. And here we see his compassion for the lowly, for the weak. It goes back to the Will Anderson, John Wayne's character. There's compassion for the lowly. Well, who's weak in any culture? I don't know if you've ever been to a, outside the U.S. You ever been in a situation where you don't speak the language, but we lived overseas for uh, quite a while. And when I first moved overseas, it was a... Um, it was real humbling because I was like a child. I was a grown man, had two kids when I went over there, master's degree, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. I'm the extrovert. I'm the head of the house. My family, my, my personality is very strong. I'm type A. My wife is very quiet. She's not an extrovert. She's introverted. And guess what? My wife's having to buy everything for us. She had to buy everything for our home. She had to buy all our food. I couldn't do anything. What'd they say? <laughs> Tell them this. Tell them this. I did that for about a week or so. And she finally said, you got to go learn a language. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I just felt like such a, Brian, I felt like such a child. I mean, I couldn't do anything. And in that culture, they say it's all about the guanxi. It's all about the guanxi. Guanxi means relationship. It's all in who you know. Well, guess what? I didn't know anybody. And I am helpless like a child. So who, who's, who's the helpless one in a culture? It's the foreigner, the sojourner, the stranger. Here he says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. Two reasons why they should be compassionate towards the lowly. Number one, he says they were 
They were sojourners. They were strangers in Egypt. They know what it's like to be mistreated, right? And the second thing, if you read the rest of this, if you mistreat the lowly, God will get you. That's what he says. Let me read it again. You shall not, you shall not mistreat the sojourner, and then you, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. And what does God say? I will kill you. Don't beat around the bush. I will kill you. No. You take advantage of an orphan, you take advantage of a widow, I will make your wife and your uh, a widow and your children orphans. And you think about it, what happened in Egypt? You remember Moses was put into the the basket and put into the Nile. Why? They're trying to escape the hand of Pharaoh and he's putting all the baby boys to death. What ended up happening? Tenth plague. The baby boys were put to death. The firstborn was put to death, right? Yeah. And it's hard to keep this oppressor's heart at bay, isn't it? I mean, those that have power, those that have authority, it's really hard for those type of people to be humble. I mean, you think about some of us. We're administrators. It's really hard to stay humble when you have the power and the authority. I mean, even in the early church, you'd read Acts chapter 6. The church is growing and flourishing. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon the people. The Holy Spirit came, empowering the believers. They're selling what they have, and they had everything in common. The church is growing. But in the midst of that, in Acts chapter 6, what do you see? You see the Greek-speaking widows. They're being overlooked. Why is that? Was it just an oversight? Unintentional oversight? Possibly. Possibly not. They're Greek speakers. They're looked down upon. They are Aramaic-speaking widows and the they're Aramaic-speaking Jews. Could they have possibly looked down on these widows? I think so. And so that's why deacons, right, were first ordained to take care of all of those needs that need to be taken care of. Yeah, it's hard to keep the oppressor's heart at bay. Look at the next case law, verse 25 through 26. Loaning money. If you lend money, that's, I don't think it's opposed, it's, this is opposing lending money charging interest. I don't think that's what this is doing here. I think this is addressing the poor. What about the poor who need something? Don't charge interest. A moneylender. What does a moneylender do? A moneylender makes money. They lend money, they charge interest, and they make money. Yeah, of course we understand that. But what he's saying here is he's prohibiting making money off people who are in need. Taking advantage of the needy. The down and out the downtrodden, the poor, the people who don't have anywhere else to go. The loan sharks, right? They're prohibited here in, in Israel. Look at verse 26. What about if you take a cloak, this is their outer garment, if that, you take that in a pledge, they borrow something from you, say, okay, give me your cloak for collateral. But comes nighttime, what are you supposed to do? For a poor person, what do you do? A poor person 
covers up in that. That's what they cover up with at night in order to sleep. So you take it back to them at night and let them use that to sleep with. And a widow's cloak is never to be taken for, for any reason. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or to take a widow's garment in pledge. So a widow, should, you should never take their garment, right? So just little case laws here. And we see elsewhere in Scripture, God, his heart for the lowly. Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, remember the Levites, they're the priest. When, when the land was distributed among the 12 tribes, they didn't get land. They didn't have a home. They were scattered all over, all over the nation, all over the promised land, living in different places, serving in each little town. Because he has no portion or inheritance with you. And the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, you see that over and over again in the Old Covenant. The stranger, the foreigner, the widow, the fatherless, who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand that you do. God has a heart for the lowly. Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the stranger. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The way of the wicked is those who take advantage of the poor. Deuteronomy 24, this is the text that Sammy read for us, uh, our call to worship. You reap the harvest and you forget some in the field, don't go back and get it. Don't make a second swipe through with the tractor. It shall be for the, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you should not go over them again. In other words, what are they doing? They're leaning some for, for, for the poor to glean. And we see this, we'll see this again. You don't, you don't pick all the way to the edge of the field. Leave that for the, for, the, for the poor and the widows and the fatherless. Yeah. When you gather the grapes, you should not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the Again, the sojourner and the fatherless widow. You should remember that you are a slave of the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this. Yeah, God has a heart for the lowly. So should the Israelite, and so should we. Fourth thing we see in our text, we should revere God and respect our rulers. Verse 28 through 31, these other case laws. You should not revile God, revile God, cursing God, taking the Lord's name in vain, right? The third commandment. Don't take the Lord's uh, name in vain. Don't curse the Lord. And don't curse a ruler uh, or one who has authority over you. That's the fifth commandment, isn't it? Really, you know, honor your mother and father. And we, we see this, we see this uh, in the New Testament um, as well. Paul is under, um, he's, he's on trial in Jerusalem. Acts 23, verse 1 through 5. And it's, it's all bogus, bogus stuff they're bringing up. It's, it's, it's a Kangaroo court. It's bogus, right? And looking intently at the council, Paul says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul says to him, pretty much, Why would you do that for? Right? That's not right. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul says, oh, sorry. I didn't know it was a high priest. He's wrong, but I didn't know it was a high priest, right? 
I did, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so that's what Paul's doing in Acts 23. He's quoting Exodus 22. So not only should we, we should respect the Lord, but we should respect the rulers that the Lord has put in charge of us. I mean, you think about in, in their culture, it was, it was a problem or these laws wouldn't be given, but in our culture, how much more problem, right? Lack of respect for authority. I mean, you see this in this defund the police movement. You think that's helping our young people know that, oh, we ought to respect authority. No, we ought to do this to authority, right? That's what it's teaching them. Yeah, have a, we don't respect authority, and we have to be really careful about that as conservative Christians, don't we? Because sometimes those in authority over us, they don't have the same values we do. They don't have the same value system because they're lost. Somehow we expect lost people to act saved. But we have to, application point, we're not there yet, but I'll jump ahead. We have to respect those in authority over us. You don't have to agree with them, but you respect them. Scriptures tell us to pray for them, right? We have to be careful of that, don't we? Verse 29 through 30. But the first fruits, right? You should not delay to offer the fullness of your harvest and from the overflow or outflow of your presses, the firstborn of your sons you should give to me. He's talking about the first fruits, giving the first fruits of the Lord. This, this was the offerings that were public acknowledgement of the blessings of God. You bless us so much. Our, here, this is your, your part. I'm giving you back your, your part here, Lord. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. That's something the Lord commanded in his law. Bring the first fruits to me. That's your crops, your livestock, and your children, right? Yeah, that's expected of his people. In verse 31, you shall be consecrated to me, set apart, right? Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beast in the field, you shall throw it to the dogs. And you think, what in the world? Why is this? Well, and it was like this. It, the, the blood wouldn't have been drained out of the animal properly, right? You butcher an animal, you hang it up, you let it drain. That's what, the, that's what they were supposed to do, how they're supposed to eat their meat with it drained. Well, in this case, that wouldn't, wouldn't have opportunity to do that. This equivalent to eating roadkill, Jake. Watch the, the roadkill, roadkill law here. And this is good since we're having a wildlife supper here in another month and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Case laws here. So well, what do we do? How do we apply this? And we, we've seen this all along. We're not bound, right, by the civil law. This is civil law, right? And in, the, in the law of God, you, the reformers did this for us. They differentiated between ceremonial law, right, like circumcision, the sacrificial system, the civil law, which things we're, we're dealing with now, and then the moral law, like the Ten Commandments, right? We're not bound by the law. The Mosaic law, right, was fulfilled in Christ. We're not bound by the Mosaic covenant. Christ has fulfilled it. So be, what's true of Christ is true of us. We've fulfilled it as well but there is a law 
in the New Covenant called the Law of Christ that Paul references. And because of what Christ has done for us, because of the redemption that's taken place, because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, we desire to please the Lord. And what pleases the Lord, we look in the New Testament and see Jesus and His example. But what about those who aren't in Christ? For those who aren't in Christ, we preach the law. Let me ask you a couple questions. Have you ever seduced someone who is not your spouse, taking part of their innocence away? I talk to our young people all the time. It's like, you're trying to do something here that you're not old enough to do anything with. You're not old enough to get married. What are you doing? You're, I saw a, a, a young lady uh, recently left out here on Wednesday night, and there was a young boy there, and they just embraced and just, you know, and I was like, wow, what are they, what are they doing? 15, 16-year-old child there trying to be grown, but can't be yet. Have you seduced someone who is not your spouse, taking part of their innocence away? Have you dabbled in the occult? Are you an idolater? Have you lorded it over the weak and the lowly? Have you taken advantage of the poor for your financial gain? Have you reviled or cursed God or taken His name in vain? Have you withheld from God what is rightfully His? Just walking through the case laws we just went through. And if your answer is yes to any of these questions, and all of us would have to answer to yes to those questions, and you're yet to repent and trust Christ, I'm imploring you today, and by way of application, to repent of your sin, to trust Christ's work on the cross, trust his crucifixion and his resurrection was for you and begin to follow him. By way of application, that is for you. If you're not a believer yet, repent, implore you, trust Christ. He lived for you. He died for you. He was resurrected for sinners like you so that you could be saved. So repent lost person and know the Lord. And secondly, for those of us who are in Christ, we're not obligated to keep the law. We're not in bondage to the law. We're free from the guilt of not keeping the law. But we have moral norms, right, that both Christ and Paul taught. And all of those norms could be summed up in love God, love your neighbor. Again, the, the prohibition against seducing someone, taking advantage of them to take their innocence away to feed and satisfy your own desires. We see that in Philippians 2, verse 3 again. Maybe we'll read it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It takes care of that, doesn't it? Turn your Bibles real quickly. Romans. Romans chapter 12, we'll see a lot of these, I think a lot of these um, case laws hinted or reiterated here. Romans chapter 12, again, we don't keep the law to attain merit. We obey the Lord. We obey the law of Christ because of what Christ has already done for us, right? 
Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 9. Romans chapter 12. If you're in Black Pew Bible, it's page 1127. <clears throat> if I didn't have this microphone on, I'd cough really big right now. <clears throat> Trying to choke it down. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh, there it is. One of them, right? Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs. Yeah, those who are needy. Those who are lowly maybe, right? This is a uh, very practical part of Romans because of what God has done for us. This is how we should then live. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Wow. We saw that in the case laws, didn't we? Some of it just applies, doesn't it? Pretty straightforward, pretty directly. Well, we as believers, have we contributed to the needs of the saints? Are we yielded and, and make we make ourselves subject to the authorities over us? That's not easy to do sometimes. I think it, God's heart for us and what He desires for us is James 1, 27. Speaking about religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. This is what He says. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, orphans and widows, what does that mean? It's needy people, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the law of Christ, I think, to love your neighbor. So are we doing that as a church? Are we showing honor to those in authority over us? Are we contributing to the needs of the, the lowly? Are we putting others' interest above our own? Yeah, I think that that helps us, I think. How do we apply this these section of civil law? It's not real fun, not real exciting, but I think it applies. We can apply that to our lives in many ways, but God has a heart for the lowly and the weak and the needy. And we as believers, we should as well. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Okay, let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your goodness and you give us your word. And it's all profitable and, and beneficial and helpful for us. Your word makes us wise for salvation. As you show us your law and your high standard. And Lord, it's a wonderful thing that you do for us. You allow us to see our sin and our lack and our need. And that causes us to look to Christ who kept the law, who wants to clothe us with righteousness, His righteousness. And Father, we recognize as a church that we are sealed with Your Spirit. We've been redeemed. We've been born again. We've been given new life. 
but we've been given new life so we can serve and benefit others and bless others. And Father, may we be a church that does that. May we use our monies to help the, the lowly and the needy. May we use our time and our energy. And Father, even as we leave today, may you bring to mind those who are needy that we can love and encourage. Father, help us to be benevolent with our time and our energy, with our monies. Father, thank you for Jesus who is our exemplar who kept the law for us. Father, may we grow in godliness and Christ-likeness even this week. Father, as we leave, keep us safe. And those that are watching online, may you convict our hearts and empower us to obey you that we could give you much glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.